Well, thank you for being here, and we are uh, walking through, not a series, but just kind of like Shale mentioned earlier, just uh, walking through some scripture that just pops out to us, and that we feel like we need to share um, in here. We we have been in a, you know, 47-week series on First and Second Samuel, beginning Acts in the middle of January, so... Shale and I have been bouncing back and forth about just sharing our heart about lessons we've learned. Uh, last week was really on what, <clears throat> what God, who God is to us. This week, I just want to kind of speak on something that is, <clears throat> doesn't sound really exciting, but talking about what it means to just exist, just to, I mean, what it means to wake up today and what today could possibly mean. Like, uh, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of thought in our life that when we get to a certain place, everything's going to change, right? And, you know, looking at Scripture to preach is different than looking at Scripture in which just to, to read it and digest it. So what happens is, like, when I start looking at this, I start going back to my old ways of preaching, which is like, uh, you know, what's a, what's a good point I can give? And I, we, we just aren't that kind of church. Our church is really just walking through the text verse by verse by verse, not any manipulation, and just teaching through it. So without walking through historically and walking through in a manner where we're explaining every verse, uh, I just figured I'd do something that is actually sometimes a little bit more difficult. Because I used to be a good little Baptist preacher, and I had a title, a sermon title for every message. And then, and then one day, Shale said, he made a comment up here. He said, yeah, we don't do sermon titles anymore. I'm like, I don't do sermon titles always. I, I thought, what, what, what kind of a heretic have we have? And, you know, how do you not have a title for a message, man? You know? And sure enough, I haven't had one in going on what, two years. You know? And just walking through uh, Scripture is, is, is so much fun for a preacher because it's all there. I mean, you can't mess it up. You study, you study, you study, you digest, you pray, you meditate on it, and you get up here and you share, and it's exciting. So today kind of brings out a little bit of angst in me because it, it's just not a typical um, message that we would get at Creekside. But what it is, it's something derived out of a Bible that I wrote in. I was in somewhere in Georgia for a conference a couple years ago. I would speak on... Um, uh, spiritual burnout with Johnny Hunt. I don't know if everybody knew Johnny Hunt. He did do conferences around the country, and he would ask me come, come in and and speak on what it means to just just burn out, just fl- go flat, and uh, in, in 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 ministry and preaching. And I got up there and I forgot my Bible. You know, I'm like I could do what every other body does. A cool, you know, break out an iPad or a phone. I was like, no, I need a Bible. I need. So I go to the thrift shop, which is what I do. I love thrift shops. And there's a bin of free Bibles. And I reach in there and I pull out this hardcover student study Bible. And I get the Bible and I, it's one of those Bibles that's already been written in. So I'm just going to just write all over. Because there's certain Bibles that I do is I circle words that I don't think logically need to be there, that God puts there. And there's a lot. There are so many stories that would end. You're thinking, this is it. And then it keeps going. And so those are sometimes things that I miss. And so, uh, so I'm circling away. And one day it hit me to look at things uh, in the book of Luke. And I'm kind of 
you'll see, I'm loosely gauging it here, about how God performed, how Jesus performed so many miracles while he was on the way somewhere. You know, it wasn't like he waited till he got to Capernaum or he, he waited till he got to Jerusalem. I mean, of course he did miracles there. But Jesus healed and gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, the ability to walk to the lame, lifeless bodies to, to, to wake up on his way somewhere, which is interesting to me because those people had no idea Jesus was going to impact their life. None at all. I mean, sure, there are the moments where Jairus comes up, Jesus, would you heal my daughter? There's a Roman centurion who comes up, Jesus, would you do this? There, there, there are people who approach Jesus. There are people who lower their friend through a thatched roof, a paralytic, and say, make them walk again. There are those moments, but a lot of healings, a lot of miracles happened when Jesus was going from here to there. And so if I were to title a sermon, it would be this, along the way. It's the along the way of life, what, meaning, what does it mean to just, uh, for you and I to wake up and just start walking in our normal day and what could happen? Um, let me pray for me and then we'll just jump in the scripture, okay? Father, please speak through me. Uh, Lord, don't let me be a distraction in any way, please. God, let your Holy Spirit just uh, drive this message. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm gonna throw a few verses up here. Again, these are loosely gathered if you're going to go to your Bible, if you have a Bible, go with me to Luke chapter 10, but we're going to hit that in just a little bit. I just want to throw a few verses at you. Give you an idea, some things I circled where um, Jesus kind of had some interaction while he's along the way. Do you remember when Jesus cast out a demon out of somebody? If you notice in Luke 4, 31, it says, then he went, he was on his way to Capernaum. Do you remember when he called, when he was calling disciples in Luke 5, 27, after this, Jesus went out. Um, when he went to go pick a fight with religious hucksters in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. Remember when he said to the storm, I want you to stop. I want you to totally cease. He said, to, to, to calm a storm, well, if you notice in verse 8, 22, so they got in a boat and set out. And I guarantee every man in that boat had no idea what was going to happen when he got in that lake. 826, when he battled demonic spirits, they sailed. They were, again, they were getting in a boat having no idea they would be dealing with manifested demons. 19, verse 1, when he brought, Jesus brought salvation to a tax collector that no one liked. They were just simply passing through. And you look at these verses and you keep thinking, wow, so many of these healings and these miracles happened with people that were on their way to go do something. Shale and I joke all the time that the life expectancy of a sermon is no greater than the parking lot. I mean, no matter how riveting you can hear from any messenger or preacher, the moment your hands hit that wheel, you are gauging the obnoxious driving on Dale Mabry. You're wondering, do I go get a salad bar or do I go get chicken? Your, your greatest decision could be potato salad or coleslaw. Just having left a message that you thought was, wow, this is going to impact me. That sometimes makes us feel like, wow, you know what? This is not, what am I doing? People will say, no, I'm faking it. Why can't I carry what I have on Sunday in on a Monday? Because you weren't meant to listen to sermons seven days a week. The great release is this. You and I have been given the ability to go, to be dependent on God. To go out and be so dependent on God to drive and do 
everything that we don't think we can do. I remember being, um, <clears throat> being a minister. Of, uh, today's the day when, if it's anything like the first service, I'm going to share a few college ministry experiences with you, not to always bring up, this is what I used to do as a college minister. But, you know, I've, I've officiated 391 weddings. At 400, I'm going to eat a cake. And uh, I mean, it's, it's the 391 weddings. That's a, to me, that is a, that's an honor. It's a big deal. It's one where I look at and I think, man, this is what, um, I, I go back in my mind and I don't, the ceremony, I don't remember too much because I'm a nervous wreck. I always hear this, like, you've done, a two, you've done 200 weddings, why are you nervous? Because I've never done their wedding before. And I don't know if I'm going to make a blooper or, you know, call out the, you know, whatever, John, would you kiss, you know, your husband or say, say something silly? You know what I mean? I've, I, I've seen these things and that's all people are remembered for. I, you know, and, and in my life, I think back and I remember really is meeting with people and he had conversations prior to the wedding, which are totally different than the marriage about two or three years in. I remember sitting across from someone saying, you know, you guys seem a little different in this area. And I'll never forget his comment. He said, I, I, I know, I deal with it now, but marriage is going to change her. I'm like, what? Oh, yeah, she'll, when she gets married, it, she'll be different like that. She'll wanna... I'm like, oh, is that it? <laughs> like, you think that's going to happen. And you sit there and think, uh, how many times in my life did I ever think something was going to happen in my life that was going to change everything? How many times did I think there was going to be a moment that was going to just revolutionize my entire life? All of us are waiting for these monuments to change our life. Monuments, quite frankly, um, that we may never reach. Monuments, as a matter of fact, don't really change our life. It's the footsteps leading up and the footsteps leading away. It's just are. When there is a tragic loss or death, there is a great hit to the soul. It hits you, it hits you, it ravages you, but then here's what happens. You, and mark my word, if you've never been through death before, and you will be surprised at the people that will show up. They'll shock you. People, someone will bring you something and you, you won't, for, you just think, I never expected that person to bring something. It's in a small acts you begin to see what it means to be loved on. And in a small acts of love to give to other people, you begin to see what it means to love on others. Diane Mason, who goes to the early service, said it best one time. We were talking about always the desire to be able to supply food for people who may need food, like people who are going through mourning and grieving or just had a baby. And she said, you know, with all the meal trains and all the signups, she said, I've just learned all I have to do is pick up a rotisserie chicken, swing in, go to Publix, or for all you under $5, you can go to Costco now. And you just get a, you get a rotisserie chicken and take it to someone's door and watch the, just watch the glow. And it's interesting, the act of doing comes with the act of going. And in, in, in the scripture we're going to read in just a little bit, it's Jesus looking out at these men and he says, I want you to go and I want you to be completely dependent on me. You're going to go and you're going to experience some things. But in our lives, as you and I, in 2019, we are sitting here thinking, but wait a minute, when something happens, everything will be different. We talked last week about the misnomer that if we think the new building is going to be it for us, we don't need to build that building. I wouldn't want to take away from what we have. 
And if we're not careful, you know, we can do what a lot of churches do is this. We can look at ourselves and think, you know, you combine this with our other service. I think we're like a formidable church. We're not a growing small church anymore. You know, I was talking to someone at uh, First Baptist Lutz, and they were talking to me, and they were like, yeah, you know, you're outside of like until you get your, your family pastor on, you're really where we are. By the time you add everybody together, I was like, really? Because in my mind, I've always had this excuse. Oh, well, we're a small church. Oh, we're a small church. We have no more excuse anymore. We're a formidable church. But you know, if we're not careful, you know what we'd say? We are drama-free. We're okay. There's really no one obnoxious in here. Why grow? I mean, really, why mess it up? What are we thinking? You know, I mean, just we're okay. Build the borders and we're all right. Everything is okay in here. We don't need any... But no, that's not what we were designed to do. And in our life, we keep thinking, I'm just never satisfied. I'm never happy. I'm, I, I continually want that next thing. You see, the first point I have here is this. Our lives are spent waiting for change at places we may never reach. Places we may never reach. Meaning that car you've always wanted, that home you've always wanted. I came to a realization, I am not Jason Bourne you know, from the movies. It hit. At some point, I said, you know what? I'll never look like Brad Pitt. At some point, I had to look in a mirror, had to, and say, I like who you are. And you know what that normally takes is a whole lot of walking through life and seeing people that you never thought you would expect to be there. And seeing things you never thought you would see. You see, our lessons that we learn are often by teachers that we least expect. I am quite convinced you can learn as much about your journey of the day and faith in line at Publix than you can walking into church because your guard is down. I have learned to be a better listener. When I went through counseling, let me tell you what I learned very quickly. So much so I only went through counseling. I still encourage, I mean, I encourage you, encourage me, encourage everybody, you maintain a level of accountability and transparency, and that oftentimes comes through sitting with a counselor and talking. Married folks, if you think it's expensive, look at divorce and see how expensive that is. If you think it's expensive to, well, how much is it going to go to a counselor? Look at the uh, opposite side. So anyway, I don't know if I ever say what I went through, it's just when I was embedded in a, in a season of just breaking down who I was, finding out what God could do in my life. Let me tell you that I discovered that I wasn't a good listener. I thought I was a good listener. There are two types. You've always heard this. There's listening and there's hearing. We've heard that. But there is also listening that is broken down. There's listening to speak and there's listening to listen. Men, I usually don't divide us like this. You and I are most guilty of listening to speak. We are, especially when it comes to listening to women. Because women want to articulate and share things, and they are wanting us to talk to them about where and who they are. What do we do? We, in a good way, chivalristic, want to come back and say, but you know what? Let me see how I can band-aid that. Let me see how I can do it. We mean well, but we're a disaster of listeners. We just are. And so as, as I sit there and I begin to think in my life how many times I, in this journey of going, have not been a good listener. I've, I've not been someone who's, who's heard people the way God would want me to hear them. Which means this, if I'm not a good listener with others, how am I going to be a good listener with him? 
when's the last time we thought about prayer is listening to him? I mean, can you imagine going into a one-sided conversation? Heidi, if I pulled you aside and just started babbling for 30 minutes, and you thought, well, gee whiz, thanks, I really, really enjoyed the speech. Not much of a conversation because you, didn't, you weren't allowed to talk. God is continually the object of our blabber. God, would you do this? Would you do this? I don't know what to do this. I'm worried about this. I need this. And before you know it, we end with worrying about what we're praying about. We say that all the time. Walk away, and God never had a chance to get a word in. So what does he do in a loving, kind way? He speaks to us different ways. Let me see if I can remember all the ways. Through prayer, through scripture, very important. Through the Holy Spirit, through circumstances. And then lastly, through people. Sometimes you'll have somebody walk up and say things and, do, and, and say things to you that you just never thought you would hear. Look at Luke 8.1. It says, After this, Jesus, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. So the reason I bring up this one verse, this one verse in chapter 8 is this. Jesus traveled consistently. I'm not giving you a David Platt book here to tell you to go sell everything and move and, and be nomadic. I am telling you that Jesus never owned a home that we know of. You can't go to Israel and say this is where he was. As a matter of fact, in his ministry, the most he ever lived at a location was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Probably about half his ministry period of time was that's where he was at a borrowed home. So Jesus, who was continually on the go and continually seeing things and doing his father's will, was doing so in order to tell others, I want you to experience something. He gathered his disciples in Luke 4, and he says this, I want the 12 of you to come together. I want you to gather together, and I want you to go. You're going to go be completely dependent on me, take nothing with you, and then come back and tell me what, what you experienced. At the end of Luke, at the end of Luke, before Jesus was arrested, Jesus said, when I sent you guys out, what do you remember? You think they would have come back and said, oh man, you have no idea. I, I remember when I was treated this way, I was treated poorly here and I was treated bad in this situation. They said, Jesus, we wanted for nothing. It was the greatest experience we had. People's prioritization, they, they prioritize things and prioritization is in order. Everything's relative though. If I were to ask you, how are you doing? Which in some cultures they ask three times. I don't know why they ask three times. How are you doing? Oh, okay, now how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Well, life really stinks. That's what you, know, they, you just simply do that. I remember um, when I was in Afghanistan, somebody asked me to come to their house for tea. And I told the transfer, I said, he asked us to come to the house for tea. We gotta, he said, no, they didn't mean it. I'm like, yeah, they did. He asked me. He said, you mean? He said they have to ask you a third time. I'm like, really? He said, it's just a greeting. It's like, hi, how are you? If I showed up, he would be like, what are you doing here? You know, why would you come? So I want to ask you, using this, that culture, how are you? It's the first thought. Well, relative, I'm not in a hospital. I'm okay. How are you? It's all right. I mean, I could be uglier. I could be, I'm okay. How are you? I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm alone. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And, and you began to think, man, I'm, I don't know if I'm as good as I thought I was. See, that's what counseling does. They peel the layers of the onions back. And then sometimes it's not just to find out the bad that's going on. It's to find out how God has been there in all the good times. So yesterday at men's breakfast, I asked the house full of men, since December 7th, what is it an anniversary of? What would you guys say? 
Pearl Harbor, which is quite comforting to know there are many growing up in this age who would think that's like a grunge band from Seattle. So unless they make a movie about Pearl Harbor, they don't know what it is. So I pointed this this, uh, newspaper that I have, which was rushed, for those of you not familiar with um, what what they call extra newspapers, this paper would have never have been planned to be printed or published. It was an extra. The morning paper had already been distributed. Um, as a matter of fact, Monroe Fauntleroy, who goes to earlier service, said he, he sold the paper as an extra at the end of the war. And he was, they would hire um, young boys to run down there and sell them. And, and they would sell these, and the Pearl Harbor was attacked, and of course they sold this. And, and what's interesting is um, you can see the rush here. of the, the typesetting is not in place. So the guys putting the, 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 the typesetting down were cranking out as quick as they could. And it wasn't perfect. And these went out. Now, you see this, and I'm not at all an expert. Um, David, you would be an ephemera expert on, every, on all this, your work, your line of work. He would probably tell you like I would when people walk in, they point to they go, wow, how expensive is that? You could buy a car. No, these are not worth a whole lot of money. The frame's worth 10 times more than the money. Why? Because everyone kept this newspaper. When Pearl Harbor hit, everybody kept it. Any of you guys keep uh, newspapers? Anybody? Some of you? Yeah, some of you did. I remember the Space Shuttle Challenger. When that hit, I remember keeping that paper. Um, look at that. War is over. There's another one. Um, some of you guys remember. Some of you guys still keep that paper when Kennedy was killed. This is... Uh, Wow, Roosevelt closes the banks, uh, the Depression. And, you know, you look at these papers and you go through them and we remember the big moments. What would probably be interesting is to find a newspaper from December 6, 1941. But I don't think many people kept them because it was just an ordinary day. So our life, when we begin to walk in our life and our journey of life, what do we remember? The Pearl Harbors of our life. Remember the big moments. We remember those moments and we reflect and think those are the moments in which life was built. That is the only way God speaks to us. But God just doesn't want you to look back at your past and see that it was just a, there are fleeting moments. He wants you to look ahead and see there are moments you never thought you would experience. Um, while going along the way, here's a few more points I've got for you. We often ignore what God has placed in our path. We often ignore it. We walk through life and we just kind of ignore the insignificant things and people. One of the things that I love, I, I put on, I posted on Facebook about my New Year's Eve party coming up. Save New Year's Eve. It's a blessing to me. There's seven, 800 people that show up at the house and they're all ages. There's young people, there's older people, and it's just a gel of all ages. There are people there that I know personally are broke as a joke. They have no money. There are people there with all kinds of money. There are black, there are white, there are Asian, there are, there's just a, a conglomeration of people that I have known and get to know. And I see them all come together. But what's interesting, if we're not careful... Take all those people 
and we make huddles. We call them clicks. You click with who you go here and you huddle here and you huddle here. And what happens is we end up meeting some treasures. In my mind, the whole time I'm thinking, I wish you could get to know you. So many times I'm sitting there thinking, I wish someone would know someone. Sheree, I'm thinking, wow, have you ever met Mona? Because you guys would just connect. You know, are there, are there moments when you would, you would meet other people and think, what if they didn't, what if I had never met you? Have you ever thought about that with a friend in your life and you're thinking, where would my life be if this person was not in my life? Now, take that to a place of people that you're going to interact with today. The greatest, I hate that we use the words mission field. I don't like, there's a few Baptist to your, or I don't say Baptist, uh, Christianese language, intentionality, uh, mission field. I just think it's life, right? Here it is. Um, When you go to a restaurant, I am chief sinner of this. How many times I miss that the server is someone's son or daughter. And all I'm judging them for is the quick refill on my unsweet tea. And I miss it. And I'm not saying that you and I bear all the responsibility on life, because I'm going to bring up a verse about that in just a second. But you and I have been given people and places to see and experience that we've missed. You see, we often miss the blessings God has intended to share. We miss it. Um, There is a young man who lived at my house who was a server at Outback. This is about 15 years ago, about 10 years ago. And I told him, I said, hey, um, I'm going to tell people, the, you know, make sure they, they ask for you, but you're the Carolwood. Yeah, I would send people there. If you ever go to the Outback in Carolwood, you see so-and-so. And sure enough, um, my friends, uh, Fred and Ethel, uh, would, who's, by the way, his, um, that was their nicknames. I'm sorry. It was Jim and Ann Sproul, and as a matter of fact, they've passed, they're in heaven, but their, their kid, backstory, I'm sorry, I should say, their kid came home one day, it was like really sad, I'm like, what's the matter, everybody's parents have nicknames, you don't. Well, they went, from that moment, they went by Fred and Ethel, all the way to I preach their funerals. I'm talking in her late 80s, they were Fred and Ethel. I mean, there it is on the tombstone, in a, and so, sorry, I, don't, I, I said that and everything, but anyway, Fred and Ethel go to Outback, and I talked to the young man who served them, I said, hey did you meet Fred and Ethel? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're cool. They're 20 percenters, yeah. I'm like, what? Now, if you know anything about the serving culture, 20% is the guideline, right? I mean, this is where we want to hit, you know, and work up from there. It's a, we, we don't want to look cheap. We can't sit there and talk about heaven when we're sitting there, you know, giving 15.0% or whatever in, um, tip. And I said, they're what? Oh, they're 20 percenters. 20. I mean, do you know who that couple was? That man, that man uh, dropped out of high school, went to the Navy, was hit by kamikazes as a tin can sailor, lost a ship, jumped aboard another ship, lied about his unit so he could stay on a ship, and then went back into the Korean War, became vice president of Tampa Electric. His wife was the first exec, female executive of an, any major corporation in 1962, of Johnson & Johnson, and you call them a 20%er. Are you thinking? I mean, I just went off. Like, how could you do that? How could you, how could you say this is who they were? But most of us are all people who walk around with judgments of 
that's where this person lives. That's what this person does. And we make judgment calls. You see, the reality is when we go, not on a dependency of God, we are naturally going to go. If we go without the filter and dependency of God, we're going to judge people and you never thought you'd judge them. You're going to say you listen and you never thought you would listen because you're going on your own filter of survival. Every one of us are insecure wrecks. I never meet with anyone that I don't think is just like me and jacked up as some adolescent who never got past a certain place of their life of hurt and pain. And that's okay. Because when I meet with you, I want to meet a friend. And I certainly don't want to meet a friend who fakes it. And so when I meet someone at a place of being genuine, it helps. When you meet someone in a place in the eye gate and the filter of who Jesus is calling you to be, it changes things. You see, while going along the way, we often ignore what God has placed in our path. We often miss the blessings and we often fail because we weren't prepared. Um, okay, so I think about Jesus healing these people. How about the fact that some of these people were on their way themselves? As a matter of fact, Look at Acts 9, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Who are we talking about? Saul. It's Paul, Saul. I said Paul earlier, and it's really Saul at this point, right? Saul, is a, that's not a trick question, I guess. So it's Saul and Paul. This is Saul before he's converted to, and given a new name, Paul. This man was on a journey to go do great destruction to someone else. He had no idea when he set out on that journey, your life is going to change. No idea at all. And then what does he say in, verse, in 1 Corinthians 16, 6? Perhaps I will stay with you a little while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. This man's journey to do something earthly of destruction turns into a journey and a life that's going to write the majority of the New Testament. The reality is the most God can do the most we can do to find God is to simply take a step or to simply stop. Sometimes we're going in such a direction that is destructive. I've seen so many people succeed at the wrong thing. They succeed at the wrong thing and then their life was a failure. You can, you can, you can fail and succeed at the same time. You see, there's a path that God has intended for you. I remember coming back into ministry here. And I remember, man, I remember thinking, what, what do I, you know, what do I, why, I really want to do this. You're in a fishbowl. You can't sneeze without somebody saying you sneezed. You can't go in a, you know, you can't go in a store without, if I look, you know, if, if I get up and go to a store and get out of bed, I look like a crackhead and people are like, Jake looks like he's been drinking on a binge for the last week. I mean, you hear the, so I mean, everything in my life is just in the public eye. And then you never shut down. You know how awesome it is? I don't know at all. It's been years. At five o'clock, work's over. I don't know that feeling. I do know what it was like yesterday after the men's breakfast to get in my car and drive to Donna Whitmore's home where she's saying goodbye to her son who she's raised for over two and a half years and lost the adoption process to a distant relative. And her looking at me saying, why is this happening? And having no answer. 
I wake up and look at my phone absolute in fear every morning thinking I have missed a call or a text of somebody and some one of you something happened. You don't rest your brain. And there's often this envy, but guess what? I can do nothing else. I'm called. I'm so fortunate. I'm called to be a minister. And I love it. Because for all the 1% of the burden, there's a 99% of the blessing of you. And the reality is when I stand up here as a minister, I stand up here as a servant to God and a servant to you. If you've ever been in a church where a pastor has ever told you he was his authority, you need to drop that line of thinking or it will crush you and it will own you. If you ever think you have to make someone in, spirit, in a spiritual realm, your authority. I, as a pastor, hold no authority. The only authority in which I speak is the word of God. Somewhere down the line, culturally, pastors became this deification of a title and a position. It's, okay, I appreciate it when there's honor and respect in that because you do know sometimes it gets stressful. But the reality is, I've walked into this because it's my calling to serve God and to serve you. And so when I look at you, I want you to understand something. There's a servant's heart of coming alongside and saying, how can I encourage you? People often say this about me. They'll say, you know, you always say these things that, you know, um, you're such an encourager. I honestly think I am somebody who just says to you what everybody else thinks, but they don't say it. Because we live in a society where people just don't share those things. Maybe you don't know someone well enough to say these things. So I want to ask you this. Where are you going? On your journey right now, where are you going? When you leave here, you can look at, all of us are probably going to go eat at home or eat in a restaurant. But if you're at a restaurant, I want you to think about this. I want you to think, who I'm dealing with, if I look at someone through the eye gate of Jesus, what can happen? I am... A flip side of this was that person I told you about who worked at Outback, by the way, done great ministry in his life um, through some evangelistic things he did at, at, at a college at Flagler University. Phenomenal. But you know how we found him? He was a server. And he walks in my college ministry, and he, he, it's about a year before that happened. He walks in, he says, um, yeah, my girlfriend and I are here to visit. And so how'd you find us? Uh, this really nice couple came to our, our, our restaurant. And it was really nice. And I was like, man, I just, what makes these people so nice? And they knew I was busy and they were like, hey, just give us a call. We'll, you know, we'll come back on a slower part of the day. And here I am. And I'm thinking, this is how God moves. Remember, it's not so much in what happens here. We gather together here, we worship corporately, but we're to go, we're to understand that we're to go out. Um, I'm going to read, look at this, this chapter is to me beautiful. We're going to um, summarize it to a bit, but now we go to our text in Luke 10. Remember I told you Jesus sent his disciples out earlier? Now he calls together 72 people. Any of your Bibles read 70? Some of you, some of you read 70 in there. We do not know why it's 70 or 72. There's different texts that say 70 or 72. Is it a scribble mistake? Is it, a, look, it's at any case, 
I'm going to go with 72 because this is what this particular version says, but um, some will say 70. Verse uh, 1, chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he's about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Okay, do a typical Creekside expository on this. Go back to verse one. I kind of like this. Here we go. Um, Verse one, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, sent them out two by two ahead of him. This is his advanced team. Jesus says, I want you to go out before me and I want you to go out and I want you to prepare a way. Um, and is what I want you to do. I want you to just to, to greet people. He's going to give them instructions. I want you to greet people, tell them peace upon your house. If they don't greet you and pull you in, I want you to shake the dust off your garments and walk away, which was a huge insult, basically saying I want nothing to do with you. Jesus says, I want you to go, not just make friends. You're going to make enemies. You are going to go out and do my will, and you're going to come back to me. So he says, go. Verse two, watch verse two. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So therefore, we must complain, right? No, it doesn't say that. Every time I've heard this verse, missions conferences, this is where we wring you out the dried. John, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. What are you doing? Working your busy medical career and there's no way. What do you make time for? No, that's not what the scripture says. What does it say? Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out the workers. As opposed to saying, I'm going to fix this problem, we simply go to God and say, God, would you just show the, way, the ones who are called to do what we're called to do? When we come up on the 21st, Chip Purcell, you're running the homeless ministry. And we've been having good uh, attendance lately. By the way, there's a sign up for the homeless ministry and the food pantry next door. It's interesting. God always sends the, amount, the right amount of people, right? Tampa Bay Harvest over here. Right, Francis? They've been getting a good number of our people volunteering. They have plenty of people coming over. God always pays for what he orders. Whenever there's a service project, I'm never worried about, I wonder if anybody's going to come. I wonder if people are going to... God sends the right people. And why I used to tell college students, when we go running from three and 400 on a worship night to go to a service project the next week, and I would have 125 show up, and you saw the others, it was like, that's oh, not for me. They wouldn't come. I, it wasn't that we didn't have enough projects. Here's my thought. I mean, you're not going to meet your wife or your husband. You're not going to meet this sweet lady that we're going to be helping. You're going to miss it. You're going to miss these things. And so what happens is this. There are, the harvest is plentiful, but God has called individuals to go. And you will know when you're called to go. Sometimes it'll come to the voice of other people. There are people in my life who saw a path for me years ago to be a part of a church like this. But I never saw it. You know why I didn't see it? Because I had everything. Good grief, man. We had all the things, the trappings. I remember before I could pick up a phone. I need maintenance here. I need five vans. I need security detail. I need, oh, I need, uh, need to hire some deputies to run this, uh, to do the parking of this event. I need tech crew to come in. I need to set up. Walk into a church where we are starting um, as a new assemblage, 30, 40 people total. 
soundboard that you had to bang on it to get it going. All dependent on everyone pouring in their skills. You know where we cook our meals? In our kitchens. You know, we transport ourselves, we carpool. And I wouldn't want it any other way. Had you gone back, if you'd gone to me five years ago, four years ago, and said, um, this is what awaits you, I would have gauged it a failure compared to the things that I had at my fingertips. If you and I aren't careful, we can gauge the success of our life based on the things that we have and not the dependency on God. Because something happened when you found yourself in a dependency of God. You got to see the real, authentic lives of people that God brought in here. I wouldn't trade that in for anything. And I'm not bashing churches. I'm not bashing this is the way one thing's done and one thing's... Because let me tell you, if you gave us $5 million, I'd buy a fleet of vans and a nice soundboard. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But I'm just telling you, this is not us. And what we have is a dependency on God. So he, they go out. They minister, they do their thing, they've seen things, and then they come back and watch Jesus' reaction. They come back, verse 17, it says, the 72 returned with joy and said, I mean, they've got to, they think he's going to be impressed with us. Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This, can you imagine this interaction? Yeah, you, I know what you saw. Yeah, I actually saw when he fell down. It was pretty neat. Verse 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing's going to harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit said, I will praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one who knows the Father is, uh, is I'm sorry, and no one, I'm, why am I dyslexic right now? And no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Verse 23, then he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes to see what you see. Go back to verse 20 if you could. In verse 20, it says here, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is what he's saying. So don't just be so excited that you saw a spiritual realm collapse right in front of you. Because you have no idea. If you're that happy and you're that impressed, you have no idea what is waiting for you at the next place. Heaven is going to shock you. And you're impressed with this. I mean, I remember... Um, my brother coming home from prison and he had been in drugs, a terrible drug ordeal. And he walks into his house that, you know, the drugs do to a home, tears it down, the smell, the pit, the disaster of it. And while he's away, got some friends and we all renovated the home and we rebuilt the home. And he walked in and 
The door that was busted in was now rebuilt. The floor was all retiled. And it was the new cabinets. Everything was scrounged together as best we could. But there was a smell of new carpet. He had no idea this was being done. And just ecstatic nature of him being out. I remember um, him getting out of the car and he just kept walking in one room after the other and said, I can't believe it. He go, oh, Jake, you know, I, I can't believe it. He just thought it was the kitchen. I'm like, no, come here. And there's the bedroom. Then he goes in, and he goes in the living room and he sees it and there's a TV and there's, I mean, all, he, and I'm watching. I am bawling like a baby. He doesn't know it because I'm walking in back of him and he's just sitting there in shock looking at all this and I'm watching him and he's saying, I, I can't believe this is, I never expected this. Who do you think was the happiest person? Me. Because on what I'm watching through him, this is Jesus saying, when he says this, he was filled with joy. You talk about, if I'm going to circle something in the Bible, I'm going to circle that. What? I thought Jesus was a walking cloud of joy. How can you not be? I'm filled with joy. He was filled with total elation when he saw what they saw. He said, you have a glimpse of what I have for you. You have a glimpse of the things that are going to be seen. Makes total sense now when Jesus says, come and see. If you're growing up with a, with, with, with a, with a hard member of your family who's very demanding, who always grabs a shovel from you, says, that's not, it's not, it's not how you do it, or grabs the hammer, this is not how you hit the nail. He grabs a, or, or, or maybe she grabs something from you and says, this is not how you speak. And sometimes when you hear, come and see, you hear, come and see. But the reality is it's like an older brother to a younger loving brother say, come and see. Come and see this. Jesus is saying that you have no idea what's up there. Heaven says it, homes are built for us. They're not building because we're moving there like people are moving to Hillsborough and Pasco County by thousands of, no, because we're anticipated. Because the idea is you and I will one day be welcomed to a real home where if we think we're somewhat impressed, we'll be blown away up there. It says, um, that verse, did you see that verse in 23? If you go to 23 real quick, and I'll hit 24. It says, then he turned to his disciples and said, privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see, because the things you see, kings and prophets never saw. Verse 24. For I tell you that prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. You ever been around people that have a lot of money? Then you meet someone and find out somebody that has a lot of money. You know what happens when you talk about people being, I've always thought it was like this thing of being rich. Like, oh, you're rich. And then you find out there are levels of richness, right? There are just people that, well, that person has a nice car. Oh, that person has a plane. No, that person has a really nice plane that goes between both their planes. I mean, it just keeps going. And you think you just never know what the level means. And oftentimes I wonder, what was it like? You know, what, what would it be like? There are times you, you get to experience things in life and you sit there and you get nervous, like, what's this going to be? And then there are moments where you get it. I think the greatest banquet 
that's ever served. Call me old-fashioned. Mark, you got my back on this one. Wake up, Mark. Mark, you got my back on this one. Ready? Is a church potluck supper. It is. You may walk in and see a mishmash of, okay, casseroles, you know, a pie, gelatin salads, whatever. You look at something and think, yeah, I don't see any chicken wings. I don't see any chicken tenders. But you know what I see? I see somebody that the day before went out to the grocery store and bought something. That goes home, that breaks out the casserole dish and makes a casserole. It makes it because her mom made it that way or his grandma made it that way. And they make this dish and then they bring it and then they bring it in and they set it on a table and there it is. And when I look, it is nothing but this pure, magnificent, beautiful horn of plenty of love and time. And I look at that and I'm like, this is it. Do you know what I say in my mind? And this, I do this all the time in my mind. This is dangerous because I'm talking and thinking at the same time. Here's what I think. Rich people don't get this. They don't get it. I mean, you really, you know, I mean, people who hang out in that world and doesn't you know, this is what, you know, we do. They don't know what it's like to dig into Annie Mitchell's chocolate pecan pie or your picadillo iris, you know, to, to go into something and grab and to think this was made from love. And so I took this mentality my whole, whole life and it, all my life, I have always had this idea of enjoying people coming together around food. And I'm working at the bank in, in New York City. This is year 2000. And I'm at the bank. And I've been bopping around different uh, places around the country. And as, as a, and I would, have, I would get a hotel outside my bank. And so I would tell these other classes where I was in Chicago or Tempe or something like that. Hey, everybody bring a, let's have a, like a potluck on a Friday. Everybody, you know, class of about 30 people. And they would be pulled in away from their positions and come in to get this retraining. And I said, bring something significant with your background. Like if you're from Thailand, well, bring something. Philippines, bring something. You know, I mean, come on, bring in all this food from all over the world and we're going to sh- share this food. Well, I wasn't thinking. So I, I get to work on a Friday and I walk in and all of a sudden I see people walking down this long hall and they're carrying these crock pots, and they're carrying casserole dishes. Some guy's carrying like a Dutch oven, like a cast iron. And they're walking through, and they are bopping in and slopping around, and they're putting everything down, and they sit down, and they collapse, their arms fall out, and they're like, that was, whoa. Man, everybody on the bus was smelling that food. This guy's like, yeah, the train. He said, I was, we were on there for an hour and a half, and everybody, I'm like, what? And the subway, I said, you, oh, no. I said, I can't believe it. I forgot you guys, everybody takes public transportation. I said, you mean you, you're on the bus, then the train, then the sub, you, you did, oh yeah, it, took, it takes them an hour and a half to two hours to get to work with okra and tomatoes. Try that. <laughs> and I said, I'm so sorry. I said, I was like, what have I done? And they all, every one of them said, it was worth every minute. So you wouldn't believe any people would come up to us like, what are you doing? What's going on? Who's that for? Well, that smells good. I'm talking to people I've been sitting on a train with for a year that I'd never spoken with. And it was interesting how just changing up the normal pattern of go changes things. Like, can you imagine changing up the normal pattern of go with just bringing Jesus to guide you? 
and to show you what things look like. But there's a, there's a fear here. And that is this. Um, most of us are comfortable. Um, we're comfortable because we're in control. And we're comfortable because we're too scared to do otherwise. Every one of us in here, folks, are control freaks. Some are just obnoxious about it. Have you ever worked for an obnoxious control freak? You ever done that? Some of you? They're like, just control everything. What are you looking at me for, Amy? You're my assistant, for crying out loud. (laughs) But all of us have a degree of wanting to control something. We control, I I don't want to be hurt. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And so we're freeze. And oftentimes I hear this when people say, where there's fear, God's not there. And God is not an author of fear. I'll give you that. But God allows fear. He allows it for him and he allows it for everything else. I mean, if you're facing trial, you're facing a medical issue, it is normal to have fear. I'm never going to look at you and say, don't be afraid. I'm just not going to say it. But I will say this. I will say, how do you deal with that fear? How to pray, how to read in scripture. And then often there's a thought that I wrote down. It says, the most drastic and usually the most effective remedy for fear is direct action. And that direct action could be prayer. It could be going out and doing something. But the reality is we are comfortable in our pattern of life. And then so what happens, we start this whole new way of going and, and impacting people. Then what discourages the quickest? People. People will come alongside and they will say this. Your new life won't always be believed by others. Say, nah, I don't believe it. Your new life won't always be understood by others. Or your new life won't always be supported by others. You, when you start acting different in how you interact with people, asking yourself, how would Jesus have me interact? You're going to notice something. You may not be always understood. JFK called uh, Billy Graham the day before he was assassinated. And Billy Graham would later go on to say, um, I never knew what the call was for because I was too sick to take the call. And I've regretted it every day because I never knew what the call was about. Our life, if we're not careful, can be full of regret. Or we could use those moments for moments of reflection. I went to a, uh, I think I told him this story before. I was, doing a, I was doing a wedding in Tampa on a Saturday about 10 years ago. And I was coming back from Dominican Republic where we had gone down with a bunch of baseball players. Jamie, you were on that trip as a matter of fact. I was coming back to do Ashley Gordon's. Yes, I think it was Ashley Gordon's wedding. And I was coming back and I had plenty of time. It was an evening wedding. I was flying out at 4 a.m. in Dominican Republic. I was catching an 8 o'clock in the morning flight from Miami. I got this. We take off at a Dominican, get to Tampa, Tampa take off. I'm fine. We were about to land in Tampa. We're 50 feet off the runway. And then he just, you feel a thrust of the engine and he takes off. And he says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're experiencing some uh, mechanical override issue. It's no big deal, but we need to land with a, with a correct um, landing gear override. We're going to circle, come back. 
15, 20 minutes later, 30, 40 minutes later, he says, the airport is closed. The weather is hit. It's socked in. There's a cloud right over it. And we'll keep you up to date. We circle for another hour. Nothing. Now he says, we're uh, having a fuel issue. We're going to have to go to reposition to Fort Myers. There's a little bit of anxiety going on. We land in Fort Myers, and I'm thinking we're going to land, engines running. No, they shut the engines down. They pop open the door. They roll out this, like, this ladder, and up comes like the ground crew chatting away, and I'm, I'm panicking. And I'm telling the lady next to me, I'm like, she says, are you okay? I said, no. I said, I've got to do a wedding. You know, 10 minutes to go by, and she says, I hope it's going to be okay. I said, yeah, yeah, me too. And and she says, um, so you're, you're, a, you're a minister. I said, I am. She said, and she went to say something. All of a sudden, the, the pilot comes up next to the flight attendant. I look at him, I'm like, this is my moment. You know, and I get up and I walk up to him and I'm like, what, what is, um, what's going on? Do you know? He said, well, the weather's still socked in. I mean, you know, we're refueled, but we're waiting to take off. I said, but how long until, there's got to be a lot of other planes floating around out there too. And how long are we going to be? He said, I don't know. I still told him, I said, I've got to do a wedding. He said, well, he looks at my watch. He said, you can make it if you rent a car from Fort Myers. You could, I could be, I could have somebody meet me in my tux. I could, I mean, I would be that close. And instead, in a world of manipulation, I looked at him and knew this guy's a pilot. He had to have a dream one day of, you know, rescuing every, I looked at him and said, you know what? I got my faith in you. Well, that's all I need to say, because this commercial airline jockey just bowed up like a pilot from the Royal Air Force, walks back to the cab and closes the door, and I'm no joke, within 10 minutes, we're taken off. He says, ladies and gentlemen, airport's still closed. We're going to be first in line. We are scooting, we're skirting the coast right over the coast. My cell phone works with no problem because we're so low. It's like 10-minute flight. It's a joke of a flight. And he says on a PA, uh, there's, there's a minister on board and he's officiated a wedding. If you'd let him off first, people applaud. I'm like, this is, I'm on the phone. Get my tuxedo to this place on me. I get there. I do the wedding. It was spectacular. It's Tampa Palms Golf and Country Club. Everything worked out great. It's all fine. Reception's going great. And then it hit. And I still wonder, why did that lady ask if I was a minister? And I never, ever found out why. I don't know if there's something heavy. I don't know. But I was so consumed with getting to a place in an airplane I wasn't flying that I missed everything beside me. If we're not careful, we are so consumed with our next destination, thinking we are in control when we're not. And we have missed the life of a journey, what it means to go. I close with this. Your journey is going to take you to places you never imagined. Your journey will become the purpose for all the change you've been waiting for all along. And finally, your journey is there and it's waiting for you. Every one of us have an opportunity when we walk out that door to recognize God has not called us to become a corporate believer. He's called us to become a believer in Jesus Christ to make the greatest impact from the place you sit right now. 
waiting for people. If God is going to draw you into a journey, he still draws Saul's into journey to become Paul's. And you may be the person he's pulled you inside to be. For those of you who come in here and say, you have no idea what it means to, to have that relationship, understand that somebody has invited you here. If somebody in here who's saying, I, I just want to take that, I want to take this journey in my faith in a place where I can recognize what it means to be on the go for Jesus and what it means to be called in his direction, what it means to understand that other individuals I talk to are human beings, I pray God gives you an awareness. I don't know all the answers to the why questions. Like I said with Donna, I don't know why when she lost that case. And I don't know why people die too young. And I don't know why people hurt. But I do know this. In the journey of being with people in the midst of those whys is ministry and their people. And maybe, just maybe, you are one of the objects of that ministry now. If it means letting your guard down to be loved, do it. If it means taking your guard down in order to love others, maybe you should do it. This message isn't um, for me to guilt you into something. This message is for you to reflect. A message is one made for you and I to rethink things. Thanks for your patience in this message. Thanks for your patience in me just walking through these notes of just that I've scribbled over during this week because this is something I've got to work on to be a better person. You've got to be work on to be a better understander of what in, the, in greater clarity of, of certain things. But know this, does this not make sense when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? That when you allow him to direct your way, how it changes everything. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for today and the ability to come together and study your word. And Lord, I thank you for Lord, you are the way, the truth, and the life, and you are, Father, the way that is narrow. And so many times there are people who create a broad path for us to walk, a broad path that we even create ourselves, one that it gives us a lot of anxiety, a lot of angst, a lot more issues to deal with that we were never meant to deal with. Lord, if we ask not what we could do, but what we're supposed to do or should do, how it would change our life. Father, for the fear that we deal with, Help us with that fear. Father, for the uncertainty, help us with the uncertainty. But more than that, Lord, help us to take the first step in walking a path that you've designed. I'm not talking about going to something drastic like a, um, anything that would revolutionize where you're at right now. I'm just talking about, Lord, guide us right now in what to do at one o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday. Father, thank you for the people that speak into our life through your word. Lord, um, thank you for the way this church has impacted me. Thank you for the way that you set in my course to bring me to Creekside. I mean, you've sent your agents of the gospel and of love into a life that doesn't deserve it. Lord, I'm grateful for that. Lord, we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Would you stand as we close?